Let's pray as we come to God's word. So Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you. And we acknowledge, as we've just been singing, that there is more to this life, most so much more than meets the eye, but that we are even now surrounded by countless angels joining with us in worship of you. We praise you that all creation sings your praise and that you invite us to join in that praise. And so, Heavenly Father, we ask that in your grace and your mercy you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we would understand this, your word to us, that it would transform us. And as we behold the glory of the Lord Jesus, we would be transformed into his likeness. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so in, uh, in the benefits, we've been going through the letters, the seven letters of Jesus to the churches of the New Testament. And we come at last to this final one, to the church in Laodicea. And as always, it's a message of spiritual reality. The whole of the book of Revelation is like spiritual vision goggles. Night vision goggles help you to see what's going on in the night, things that you wouldn't otherwise see. And spiritual vision goggles help you to see the spiritual realities that we wouldn't otherwise see. That's what all Revelation is about. And this letter to the church in Laodicea is no exception. So to get us thinking, to start off with, I'd like you to look at this uh, beautiful box with little drawers inside it. Can you see that? Lovely. It doesn't belong to me. I stole it from somebody. Um, <laughs> but it's very good for my illustration today. So this box. Now imagine that this is your box and in it is everything that you own not just physical, not all your wealth, but all the non-physical things that you say are yours. In other words, all your skills, all your gifts, all your achievements, all your relationships, all the things that you have achieved in your life, all within this box here. And it's the kind of thing, this box, that we rummage around in when someone asks us to say something interesting about ourselves. Uh, when I first came to the benefits, I was asked to do that. Write a paragraph all about what's interesting about you, Oliver. And so I had to rummage around in my drawers. What have I done in my life? What's it, what might be interesting about me? We also look at the box when we're feeling jealous or challenged. If something goes wrong, we rummage around for something that we can say, well, at least I've done this. At least I've got this. At least I've achieved this. When we want people to like us or be impressed with us, we get something out, something really top class out of the top drawer from this box. The most impressive thing about us we get out, don't we? But sometimes uh, they come out and people say, wow, I didn't know you, you spoke this language or you could play the whatever it is or uh, that you once worked for this famous person. And then we get a thrill of self-congratulation, don't we? And we put the thing back in the box um, to be wrapped up and saved for later. And this is very much the case with the church in Laodicea. They've got their boxes, if you like, overflowing with wealth and achievements. Verse 17. Jesus says to them, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. We can imagine them enjoying the compliments of others in that church in Laodicea, getting a thrill of self-congratulation when people say to them, ooh, I didn't know you had such a top-of-the-range mule, or whatever it is, or, oh, I didn't know you'd actually been to Rome, the capital of the empire, all these things that the Laodiceans could boast about. And if you'd have asked them what they were most proud of, they'd have looked in the box and pulled out the fact that they were a self-made person, or the fact that they had, by their own ingenuity, started investing in the mule trade just at the right time. I have acquired wealth. 
This is their big thing that they say. I have, through my own skills, through my own ingenuity, got something. And if you ask them, what do you think is missing in your life? They'd have had a good rummage around in that box and they'd have said, you know what? Actually, the box is pretty full with my possessions and achievements and health and prestige and sense of well-being, so actually I'm not missing anything at all. So it's a question for us when we um, have a rummage around in our boxes, if you like. What are we most proud of? What achievements or gifts do we secretly love people to see? What do we get out of our box when we're alone to look at and make ourselves feel better? Well, listen to what Jesus says to the Laodicean church after he has seen the content of their boxes, if you like. He's a little bit um, not what they would expect to hear, I think, probably. He says, you don't realise that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Now, uh, one of the things I've done in the past is I used to work as a jeweller to earn a bit of money when I was studying. And it was the hardest thing when a person came into the jewellery shop and, and put down a ring on the counter and they said, God, how much do you think that's worth it? And you had a good look at it and you got out the little diamond tester. Uh-oh. <laughs> they think it's worth £500,000 and you had to say, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I think probably um, it's probably worth about, um, about £5. And they'd say, what? This is a family heirloom, you know, it's a diamond, you'd have to explain, I'm afraid it's not a real diamond. They'd say it's made of gold, you have to explain, I'm afraid it's not real gold either. Uh, and it's really tragic, people then used to re react with, with disappointed acceptance, all right then, or sometimes with anger. You know, this is something really precious to me that you are shaming. When somebody comes along and has a go at something that's really precious, really deep inside that box, we often react with, how dare you? And I expect when the Laodicean church heard this, these words from Jesus, they began to think, how dare you say that about us? Don't you know who we are? So Jesus looks at all this stuff the Laodiceans have and he says, basically, it doesn't have any worth. A bit like that ring that's not diamond and not gold. It's basically junk. His, verse, his words in verse 17 are that you are wretched, he says. The word wretched in the original suggests ruined or plundered. Perhaps Jesus is suggesting they've been conned. Like the guy who got his Rolex watch for £20 down at the market. It's not a real Rolex watch, is it, if you've got it for £20? You've been conned. What else does Jesus say? He says, you're pitiable. Just like you'd feel pity for the person proudly showing off what you know is a fake watch. You kind of feel sorry for them, don't you? Look at my amazing Rolex that I only bought for £20. You know it's not a real Rolex. and it's a, You feel a bit sorry for them. It's a bit embarrassing. And they're poor, they're not rich like they think they are, and they're naked. In other words, they're devoid of any possessions whatsoever. And crucially, they're blind. They can't see the spiritual reality of their poverty, the fact their boxes are actually pretty empty. And the problem is that these Laodiceans, they've, they've bought into the outlook of the world around them, that what really matters is wealth, not just physical wealth, but, you know, prestige, Things that get you kudos from other people. Talent or, or, or achievements or acquaintances, whatever it is, reputation. So why are the things in their box so utterly worthless? Why are they junk at the end of the day? Well, remember that the book of Revelation is a spiritual insight. It's telling us the spiritual reality around us. And in spiritual terms, this kind of wealth doesn't mean much. 
In the next verse, in verse 18, Jesus says to them, I counsel you to buy from me true wealth. He describes it as gold refined in the fire, so that you may be truly rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may truly see. Now gold, the gold refined in the fire. That, that reminds me of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, where Paul talks about what we do in this life as Christians. Some of it is of great eternal worth. Paul likens it to gold and jewels. But some of, this, some of it, he says, is like straw and wood, not of great eternal worth. He says that for us Christians, the fire of judgment will burn up the straw, but the gold will survive. We will go to heaven, absolutely. We go to heaven not because of our own achievements, but because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a sense in which some of the stuff we do on earth isn't of eternal worth, but others is. So Jesus says, store up that treasure in heaven, which will last for eternity. And what might that be, do we think? Well, what is it that we do and treasure now that we will continue to do and treasure in heaven? Okay, so are we, in heaven, are we still going to need to earn lots of money? No. In heaven, are we going to be showing off our, our amazing clothes? Probably not. In heaven, are we going to be talking about all the people, the celebrities we met in our life, or our, um, the achievements of our prestige and all that kind of thing? No. Well, we'll come back in a moment to what we will be doing in heaven and how that is the goal that lasts forever. But next, Jesus tells the Laodiceans to buy white clothes to cover their shameful nakedness. This is the original emperor's new clothes. They think they're dressed in all their wealth and achievement, but in eternal spiritual terms, they've got nothing on. It reminds us of the parable in Matthew 22, when a man is thrown out at the wedding banquet for not wearing the right clothes, for not adhering to the dress code. And a wedding banquet's an image of heaven. So this lack of clothing has eternal consequences. <coughs> we'll also think in a moment about what those white clothes signify. So hold on. Then Jesus says, salve for your eyes. Now, this is a nice little uh, illustration that they would have understood because eye salve was a speciality of Laodicea. And so Jesus is saying, you know the way that you put salve on people's eyes to make them better in your town? You need some of that yourselves. Because we know from the rest of the Bible that spiritual blindness leads to not knowing and not understanding God and his ways. And again, we'll see in a moment how they can be properly opened. So Jesus talks about um, the fact that the Laodiceans have filled their lives with all this junk. He's saying it's not worth anything. But now he talks about the consequences of that. And to this we go back to verses 15 and 16. <coughs> this wonderful uh, um, words that we were thinking about just now, the hot and the cold water, or the lukewarm water. Now again, this is an illustration the Laodiceans would have understood, because they had lovely hot springs up in the mountains above Laodicea, <coughs> but it was piped down from there, in these pipes, down into the town. And by the time it got to the town, it was lukewarm, it was tepid, um, it was body temperature water. That's pretty horrible if you drink body temperature slightly warmer water. It's not a nice thing to drink. Our bodies quite rightly reject it. It's probably bad for us to be drinking water of that kind of temperature. Tepid water is disgusting. Hot water is good for cooking stuff. Cold water is nice and refreshing. But stuff in the middle, not really good for anything. This illustration of Jesus shows the Laodicean church is without use, without fruit. 
Their lives are just so full of junk, there's nothing to do with God, that they're no longer capable of doing anything good for him, either the cold stuff that's refreshing or the hot stuff that cooks things. They're in the middle, not, either to do, not able to do either thing. There's nothing in that box, you see, nothing in the box of their wealth and achievements that inspires or motivates them to think and act in a way that's pleasing to God. So he's about to reject them. And the consequence of their full boxes is that their very relationship with Jesus and their eternal destiny is in jeopardy, as we've seen. Now, as I said, our eternal uh, security comes from our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that he has done everything for us and we have nothing to offer but just our faith in him. But what Jesus is saying is that you are filling your lives so much of this junk that even that, even your faith, even your trust in me, you are forgetting and leaving to one side. Now, do we ever feel like we're being ineffective for Jesus? I know I do quite often, personally or as, as, a, as a church. Often when we read these, these letters to the seven churches, we can either think, oh, that's not anything to do with us, or we can think, oh, my goodness me, each one of these is exactly describing our church, which is not quite right either. <laughs> you know, some of this will fit us, some of it won't. But each one of these letters is certainly there to make us think, to make us measure ourselves, to make us stop and think, well, what can this say to us? And on an individual level or as a church level, we may feel like we're not progressing much, perhaps in our love for God. And I'm not saying this is your case here. It's for us each individually to work this out. And what we can get from this letter to the Laodiceans is to have a look at that box, to have a really good look, open it up, Think, what is it in our lives that we are boasting about, that we are making the most important thing, that we are relying on for our prestige? And so Jesus says in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. In other words, there may be times when for our good, Jesus himself takes something out of the box, which we think is very precious, so we might have been relying on too much. He does it for our own good. It may be money. It might be a taking away of some health. It might be something more subtle. Perhaps we've been relying on our own reputation. So Jesus might take that away by allowing us to slip or mar that reputation. Maybe we see someone who's better at the gift we thought we had, who's earned more money. Do you see what I mean? That makes us think, oh, goodness me, maybe I'm not as amazing as I thought I was. But in all these cases, Jesus is taking something we hold precious out of our box, not despite us, or to ruin us, but because as verse 19 says, those whom I love, I discipline. He loves us, that's why he's doing it for us. He wants what's best for us. Why is it loving to say, take something away we've been relying on? Well, again, hold on. <laughs> we'll come to that in a moment. So the answer, Jesus says, be earnest, be zealous, be enthusiastic, in other words, and repent. To fill one's life and heart with wealth and possessions, achievements, etc., etc., at the expense of God, that's not something God just doesn't really care about. It's a real problem. And it's one that they need to turn away from, these Laodiceans. And so their earnestness, their zeal, will result, will, it will return, rather, as they take Jesus' advice, which comes in the next verse. And verse 20, a wonderful verse. Wonderful verse, isn't it? <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And it's obviously celebrated in that wonderful Holman Hunt painting of the light of the world. Jesus holding the lamp, knocking on the door. 
The handle's on the inside, isn't it? It's all a bit overgrown <laughs> from neglect. The door's locked on the inside. Each one of us needs to open that door to the Lord Jesus. Yes. And it's interesting, he's saying it here to those who are already Christians. Yes. It's a wonderful invitation. I know the wonderful uh, evangelist, Michael Green, that I used to um, hang around with sometimes. He used, loved to use this verse to invite people to Christ, to say, open the door to Jesus. But Jesus is here using it for Christians. He's saying, look, you closed the door on me. You filled your house with junk. We're thinking about the boxes filled with junk. He's saying your house is filled with junk. Open the door. Clear out some of that junk. Make a space for me to come in. And notice what he says. If anyone hears my voice. That's what opening the door is. Opening the door is hearing Jesus' voice. The first thing that the Laodiceans need to do is listen to him. Before we can let Jesus in to change us, we must listen to him as he speaks to us in his word, the Bible. Now, each one of us will be reacting differently to this. Some of us will, will think, do you know what, I haven't been my, reading my Bible enough. Some of us will be thinking, I'll be really good at reading my Bible. There may be some who think, actually, I may never have opened the door to Jesus. Jesus is saying, please listen to me because I love you and I want what is best for you. Then once we've listened to Jesus, once we've taken his words as true and opened that door to him, he comes and eats with us. What a wonderful picture of intimacy. The most friendly thing you could do with somebody in those days, and probably these days as well, is invite them around for dinner to eat with them. It's a sign of intimacy. So those who feel really close to Jesus, are those who are eating with him intimately in their hearts. Jesus says to each one of us, open the door, let me in. Let me come and be intimate with you. What does it look like to let Jesus in? Well, it's to hear his word in the Bible, so that means we need to spend time in our weeks, not just on a Sunday, opening up that Bible, reading it, trying to get to know Jesus in it. We can often, and I find this, often looking around for the uh, interesting theological tidbits or perhaps for the historical importance of a passage, but actually every passage is there to draw us close to the man, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. So in prayer, in Bible reading, we do all these things as a means to let Jesus into our heart and to get close to him, to sit and eat with him. Sitting and eating with him means actually thinking about him, contemplating him in the Bible, meditating on him. And of course, Christian meditation is not saying om and a kind of a certain mantra and rocking backwards and forwards, but it's spending time with the Bible, a verse or two in the Bible, thinking how do they reveal the glory and the love of Jesus to me? Asking the Holy Spirit to help us to encounter Jesus in these verses. That's Christian meditation. That's inviting Jesus in. We imagine we're there with Jesus. We think about the Bible's words and they draw us close to him. And amazing things will enter our minds as we spend time just with him. That's why it's nice to have a pen and paper ready while we're studying these, these words. And not so much studying. That's, I've used the wrong word there. Forgive me. We are meditating on these words of the Bible in order to get close with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will often move us to think things. It's great to have that pen and paper ready just to note down the things that the Spirit moves in us. I've often done that, and I'm amazed when I go back. I think, did I really think that? No, it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit, but it's incredible, because I know I could have never thought up such amazing things. But when I go back and read some of the things that I've written down when I've been spending time with Jesus, I think, whoa, whoa, that's incredible. And particularly, it's 
beneficial to regularly focus on the one place where Jesus' love and glory was most wonderfully displayed when he died for each and every one of us on the cross. Mm. Contemplating the agony, the love, the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross for us. But also letting Jesus in, it, it, that's a positive bit. It also has a kind of negative thing. Is we need to get rid of some of that junk. <laughs> we need to clear out the houses of our hearts sometimes. And the Holy Spirit will put it on our hearts. Do you know what? You've been spending a bit too much time doing this. Or you've been spending a bit too much emotional effort on that. Clear it out. So to, to return to what we were saying earlier, what's the gold that we can buy from Jesus now that will last for all eternity? Well, it's enjoying his company in this world and worshipping him and his glory and loving him as he loved us as we open the door to him for the rest of our lives. It's enjoying that which we will be doing in heaven for all eternity, worshipping and glorifying Jesus, finding all our satisfaction and joy in him. That's the goal that we can have now, which will not be burnt up when we go through the judgments. And what are the white clothes we need? Well, they're the righteousness that Jesus gives us. This is the wonderful thing about Christianity. It's not all about all the stuff that we do. It's not about the rules that we've kept. It's the fact that Jesus takes away the filthy garments of our sin. And that's not the end of the story. He puts around us the white garments of his perfection, of his complete righteousness. Jesus says, take the white garments that I have to give you. Don't try and earn your own righteousness. Don't try and earn your own prestige. Take my royal garments and put them on you. And what's the salve that can heal our spiritual sight? Well, I think it's the sight of the glory of Jesus. As we've been looking through Revelation, we've been seeing that true spiritual insight begins with one thing. If your eyes are really being enlightened, if you're really beginning to see spiritual reality, the first thing you'll see is this, Jesus Christ. If we really, really have spiritual sight, what we will see is the glory of the Son of God. And so the salve that will solve our spiritual blindness is evermore to contemplate and look at Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And as we're transformed into his image, we will see with his spiritual clarity. So what's in our box? Well, some of us here may feel the box of our hearts is overflowing with the presence of Jesus by his Spirit. Praise God if that's us this morning, that we just want to burst out with praise for him, for all he's done for us. If that's you, pour some of it into the people around you. Don't be afraid, don't be too British. Don't be afraid to share some of that joy that we have. That is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Some of us may be feeling like, actually, our boxes are a bit full of stuff that we need to clear out. Now, this is not saying that we need to be like St. Francis and give away everything uh, and go and live a life of poverty forevermore and, and stop talking to all the people we talk to. That's not what it's about at all. What Jesus is saying is what's getting in the way. It may be that as we pray or as other people talk to us, there may be something that's getting in the way that we need to sort out a little bit. Let's ask God to do a deep work in us. It's only the Holy Spirit that can properly convict, only the Word that can really show us what we need to change. But for all of us this morning, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. He's saying, is there 
Um, Room in my in your heart for me. It's a wonderful song, isn't it? But the thing we need to emphasise more than anything else is this is for our eternal good. There is no joy in this life compared to the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, died and crucified and risen for us. Jesus knows that the best gift he can give us is intimate relationship with him. And so he's saying, please, my beloved children, clear out those things that's stopping that and let me come in and embrace you and eat with you. Because when we know that, we will know that there is no other joy compared to this. So let's pray. Let's pray even now. Let's pray today and this week. Maybe God has taken something out of our box. Maybe we've been through a tough time. Not always tough times are there to discipline us for something that um, has been leading us away from Jesus. Sometimes we're just asked to go through trials. But sometimes the Holy Spirit may convict us, actually, maybe this hard time is because of something I've been putting in Jesus' way. But let's pray that he would do an amazing work in each of our hearts. Enable us to open the door and enable us to enjoy intimacy with him. The Laodiceans were in trouble because they were not doing that. Let's take this as a warning to us and an encouragement to be those who conquer and sit down with Jesus on his Father's throne. So Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you this morning. We love you and we acknowledge that you do all things for our good. Lord, this letter that you spoke to the Laodiceans, it wasn't because you were telling them off or because you didn't like them. Lord, it was because you love them and you wanted to discipline them for their good. Lord, you said in your words that no discipline is pleasant at the time, but it brings a harvest of joy, of peace, of righteousness and of holiness. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would do an amazing work by your Spirit in each of our hearts this morning. Lord, we're all in different places. You've created us all as individuals, Lord, and there will be an individual thing that you want to say to each one of us. So, Lord, we do open the door of our hearts now to receive your word, to hear your voice. So, in your tender mercy, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning, we pray. And give us the joy of intimacy with you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.